0: Welcome to WLNM, the Web Novel and Manga Review, hosted by Zeke Janguris. I'd like to welcome back, yes, our first repeat guest, Katrina Leonudakis. She is a Japanese-English localization specialist, and for those who find that title confusing, She's the one that makes the games and anime that you like into a language you can understand if you're from North America, because I know Americans and uh, we don't do language as well. So <laughs> uh, Welcome back. Um, so first thing we got to talk about, because I was following you on Twitter during the entire run, and it was absolutely <laughs> fascinating with uh, Hori Maya.. Um, and I know I don't just speak for myself, but other members of the fandom, uh, thank you. An amazing job. We really loved the story and we could never have accessed it without uh, people like you, so thank you very much.
1: Ah, thank you. It was, a, it was a very interesting series to work on uh, because it's so dialogue heavy, so it was definitely a different kind of translation than I'm used to, but I had a lot of fun with it, especially because all the characters have their own personality. So oh, oh, I'm really definitely. glad it uh, worked out for everybody. I'm glad.
0: Yeah, yeah we we uh, as as our listeners know, I am a high school teacher and I host the anime club, and this was one of the favorites of the students. Um, awesome. So, yeah, they they'd come in each week and we you know we'd talk about it. So, um, getting into the gritty of translation. Um, yeah. What. what what kind of things especially like in this series if you have any uh any examples or in general what parts are difficult to translate because not everything it's not like machine translation where trust me we tried turning the machine translation on for a netflix show once and oh my god how bad it was you could, <laughs> even if you don't speak japanese you could look at the words on the screen and the machine was not matching up with the japanese that you knew in any way shape or form so mm-hmm. what's the most difficult parts to translate
1: um uh, that's a really good question um and i think it really depends on the translator you're talking to because even within like anime and manga translators everyone kind of has a preference for what they do like to translate what they don't like me personally like anything that's going to be super historical drama like I, I will not touch with a seven foot pole because I am so bad at history. <laughs> um, but I have other translator friends who are like, oh, if it's like science fiction or like mecha, anything highly technical, like I do not want to have to be spending two hours looking up how like a servo motor works kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it kind of in general, I would think the one thing that makes um, anime and manga and pretty much anything that is audio visual um, is the fact that you have this visual element. Um, so, take for example, if you're translating a book. Um, And they have like a random reference to maybe a Japanese band or they're talking about some random building in Tokyo that everybody sees all the time. Um, When you're translating that for an American audience, depending on your approach, like, let's say they really want you to change the reference to something that maybe a general American public might understand so you might change it to like the Empire State Building, and you're allowed to do that just because it's just text you don't have anything kind of constraining you you have the ability to mold the words as you kind of see it to best work for the audience you're working for um you don't get that much freedom when you're working with audiovisual work so like for example with an anime um if the characters are walking through tokyo and point at the building and the shot changes to show you the building you can't change the reference because the building is on the screen you know there's no getting around it there's, even if you try to change the Empire State Building, everyone's going to go, that's not the Empire State Building. I know what that looks like. So it's a lot of the visual nature of things like TV and movies and whatnot make it difficult to do things like references or even language puns that are based around kind of visual objects. Or the other way around, they make an animal pun and they show the animal on screen as part of the joke, but maybe it's not the same animal to the same word in English, so it's um, it's definitely an interesting time when those kind of pop up because you're like, ah, oh, geez, like now I gotta, all right, how am I gonna work with this? Like, there's a monkey on screen. Like, what can I do with a monkey in English? It's gonna f- use the same <laughs> kind of pun or play the same kind of purpose as the Japanese did. Um, so that's definitely something that's uh, that's probably the most challenging, but I really enjoy those kind of moments that pop up because you have well, to get really creative.
0: It's kind of like. Um... I always find some Japanese borrowed words, I guess, like penguin mm-hmm. is always sounds like pengy. Mm-hmm. Or cake is cakey. They yep. adding the adding that extra syllable just makes it you're like, okay, I know exactly what they're saying. It's not quite what I imagine it to it should sound like, but it's it's close. So mm-hmm. um now. Is that, um, now that we talked about some of the difficult stuff, now, are those, lack of a better term, the only way I can think of it from like high school is those cognates. Are, mm-hmm. Do those cognates make it easier or more difficult?
1: Um, that's actually a really great question. Um, so there's always a little bit of an issue with cognates because a lot of cognates in Japanese from English are false cognates. Um, for example, in Japanese, the word baiku does not mean a bicycle, it means a motorcycle. Um, or, for example, Japanese stobu, which you might think, oh, it's like a stove you cook on, actually means a space heater. Um, so there's a lot of borrowed English words in Japanese, we call it wase-ego, um, that don't exactly mean what they mean in English, but are used all the time in Japanese. Um, and nowadays, we know, like, if we see baiku, we go, okay, it's going to be a motorcycle or it's my motorbike kind of thing. Um, but you do get a few viewers every once in a while that go like, hey, she said stove in English. Why didn't she translate it that way? And it's like, yeah, well, you know, um, I guess one example of this in the UK is they do a lot of uh, stuff where they say like, oh, I've got some katsu curry sauce or like katsu sauce when it really refers to just like the Japanese style of curry. Okay. Whereas katsu sauce is actually like katsu sauce, like a a Japanese barbecue sauce. Okay. Um, But the word katsu has been... Taken and kind of reimagined over in the UK as something that's not katsu at all. It's completely different. Um, So, kind of in the same way, Japan has borrowed a lot of these English words and is using it in their own way, um, kind of like store and baiku. And those do pop up every now and then in translation. So, it's not for the translator. It's really knowing that those what those words are supposed to mean. Um, And I would say ninety nine point nine percent of professional translators spot those and know exactly what's going on with them. And we'll translate them correctly
0: because well, I know I brought up uh, this with you on Twitter because I needed to understand why one of the characters definitely said the word lucky.
1: Yeah, but, trans- but
0: you, you, it was translated as awesome.
1: Yes. And
0: I couldn't quite wrap my head around. Well, she obviously said that why, why is that? Why did the meaning have to change?
1: Mm-hmm. So the uh so what you're looking for here is like the meaning isn't what changed. Um it's the fact that in Japan, the way they use that combination of sounds is used for a different meaning than we do. Um so it's hard to find a really good English equivalent off the top off like the top of my head. Um, but in I mean, it's kind of the same way, like in um in the US we call trucks truck, but if you go to the UK, you might call it a lorry. Right. Um or, like, when you say, Hey, can I get some chips in the UK? You're gonna get big fat fries, and you're not gonna get like actual potato chips. Those are crisps. Yes. Um, so, kind of in the same way um, as we were talking earlier, where they're adapting these English words for their own needs, um, they're using these words in different situations to mean different things. Um, so every, and it really depends on when you're translating, you're looking at how people are using language versus the literal meaning of it. Um, so there are definitely instances where Japanese carrot might go, ah, sweet, like lucky. I got the last cake that was at the bakery. Like that's, you may be, you may actually translate that saying, ah, sweet. I'm so lucky. I got it. But in terms of natural English, um, you very rarely hear someone straight up just go, oh, lucky, I got this. Okay. Um, you're hearing more of a natural dialect, like, oh, sweet, or like, hell yeah, I just got this. Yeah. Um, versus the word lucky gets used more, it's like, oh man, they're so lucky. I can't believe cool. you get to do that. So it's sl- knowing how they're used slang um, I imagine slang
0: takes a, a slang takes a special um, touch because I mm-hmm. know I've seen th- subtitles that have translated things to hella. Mm-hmm. Like that's hella good, mm-hmm. which I'm like, how do you take, I'm pretty sure that there's, there's not a natural God made there <laughs> for hella. Cause it, it maybe it just is something that was adapted in a, what I would now call a younger generation. Um, I, I remember pre hella as a f- word that we used in our language I mean, Mm -hmm. to me, it seems like something that's only come about in the last 10, 15 years. So...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you that it definitely wasn't. Um, As a SoCal native, we always make fun of our Northern California friends because Northern California uses the word "hella" a lot. We do Uh, not. So when I was starting college back in 2009, we had a couple people come down to our SoCal University um, from NorCal and we had to tell them, it was kind of like a half-hearted bullying, like halfway joking, but kind of not really being like, we don't say that word down here. You say hella, we will make fun of you. Um, And they did (laughs) did stop doing it. But it's funny that you bring that up because yeah, um, and it's definitely, the thing that we need to understand about translation, it is not about finding these one-to-one cognates or these one-to-one words. Like if you see a word in a translation that where like someone says hella, your immediate impulse shouldn't be to look at the Japanese and go, okay, which one of these sounds equals hella? Because that is not how translation works. It's how Google translate thinks translation works, um, which is why it gets shit wrong all the time. Yes. Um, but in terms of translation, it's, it's not about word to word. It's about meaning to meaning. Um, and meaning is so complex because it's not just the words that a person chooses to say, it's who the person is, how those words and relationship relates to whoever they're talking to, it's the current place they're in, like, if are they at a school, are they at a bar, um, and then you look wider at, like, the bigger country, are they in a fantasy world, like, are they in a str- strife political situation, um, so there's a lot of things to think about when you're thinking about how to get that meaning to come across, and a lot of it comes down to this thing that we call in translation theory called equivalence theory, um, which I like to describe as, you know, if this character was speaking American English and not Japanese, um, and he was in the same situation, like how would he express himself um, using English versus Japanese? Um, so that's why you'll see characters starting to use a bit of English slang. Um, you'll see them start to contract words, or you know, use Like instead of saying "going to," they'll say "gonna," Um, and that's all to create that feeling of they are speaking natural English. They are native English speakers. um, They just happen to be in Japan.
0: Okay, and uh, this all boils down to your queen of context monitor (laughs) on Twitter. Yes, yes, yes. And and I, you're 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 definitely. um, I mean, that's context is key because there, hell, just in English, there are so many radical. Radical means, I can think of three separate things, the radical means off the top of my head, mm-hmm. and depending on the context, radical itself could mean a very different thing. There's, you know, radicals in, uh, in chemistry and physics, mm-hmm. and then there's radicals, uh, people trying to shake up the world, and then there's the SoCal, radical
1: radical dude
0: yeah, or, yeah. Tur- or turtle speak either one you know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's yeah context especially it's something that we take for granted in English especially since we have so many words with multiple meanings mm-hmm. I guess they're homonyms or are they they're they're yeah. one of those things uh,
1: homonyms I think homonyms could do it but homonyms I mean you get stuff like like see would be a homonym and it's spelled different ways but it sounds the same. Yeah. Um but even you know the word to see can mean different things like like I see my friend over there versus I'm seeing a movie. Yeah. Um it's two I, completely different things.
0: Right. Because I remember in one of my various attempts at Japanese taking a Japanese class they were trying to get under make us un, help us understand the context of umi Mm -hmm. like being at the beach, though they may say umi and referring to going to the beach umi referred to actually being immersed in water is is what the japanese instructor was telling me it's not necessarily Hmm. going to the beach it's literal translation is being in the water and this is what you know the nice 60 year old japanese woman was telling me Mm -hmm. and so it's it's, it's, it's interesting to see how these play out, especially since you get used to hearing these Japanese words and having a rough idea of what they mean uh, mm-hmm. as, a non, as, a, as a non-Japanese speaker, but then seeing the translations and being like, okay, you, you can't help but be like, all right, so what is that supposed to say? Mm-hmm. Because they definitely said this but in the Japanese, but then... Now, with this added context layer, a lot of it can make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, hmm um, Yeah, and that kind of made me think of two things while you're describing that. I mean, yeah. the first thing is, obviously, at its core, language is literally just a bunch of mouth noises that we attribute to some abstract concept or thing or action. Um, and the way that different cultures have attributed certain mouth sounds to certain concepts is completely different. I mean, you always hear that old adage that's like completely not true about like, oh, the Eskimo have like a hundred words for snow. Um, And it's true that that kind of thing, like while that's overblown, um, you see it in different cultures is absolutely true. Like we have different words Four different things, and certain words for certain colors don't overlap. Um, there's really interesting color theory about language development showing that depending on you know how complex a language is, they'll have different words for different colors. Um, so if a language isn't very complex, they will not have the color orange, or they may not have the color yellow. Um, they may describe something that looks yellow to us with a completely different word saying like, oh, that's like a light white. Um, But that's just because how they're assigning, like I said, mouth sounds to these abstract concepts that we can grasp. It's not that they can't see yellow or express that something is yellow. It's just they don't have a word for that specific wavelength of light from x to y um, when reflected into your eyeballs. So it's very interesting um, when you get to certain things in translation, kind of like what you're saying with Umi, um because it can be used to refer to both the actual ocean you'll hear everybody in anime always goes umida um or like uminiko like let's go to the beach um when really they don't mean like let's go to the ocean because it's like okay let's which ocean are we going to the pacific or the atlantic like that's not
0: that's not
1: natural they really mean they're going to the
0: beach (laughs) exactly but
1: um yeah so it's very interesting especially when you're translating to have to understand what these mouth sounds correlate to and how you know, there may not be a direct one-to-one, like there may not be a word that explicitly matches that ambiguity in English. And that's okay. That's just how language and humans work, because we're so freaking complicated. Um, Yeah, and especially uh, since the number
0: of times that they're probably actually going to a sea. And for those of us who love geography and oceanography, the number of times that they're probably going to the sea, because if they're on the west coast of Japan, they're going to a sea. If they're going to the or they could be on the east coast going to the sea of what Set, setsuna the sets Setsun Sea. oh i don't know it's all ocean yeah. to me yeah it, it, so and seas have to do with a different depth oceans and seas are different because of the uh the depth of variance so that's yeah. a that's a sailor piece of sailor uh nerd for you I one know. of my many passions um <laughs> so all right you've spent an exorbitant amount of time with all of these characters Um, going back to the anime, you spend a lot of time with these characters getting in their heads because you need to be able to place context. You need to know how they talk. You need to know, you know, their personality plays into what they say. Mm -hmm. So um, how, how does, I mean, uh, hell, I can't remember when you're, I'm trying to re- remember one of the the really, really super upbeat, happy-go-lucky guy. That's uh, like, Toru. Oh, yeah. not
1: Toru. is um, uh, the guy with the purple hair who wants Yuki. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, but, now I can't remember his name. But,
0: yeah, but green hair. <laughs> yes, yeah, green all, all hair. Happy, there we go. Happy, happy-go-lucky at home, at at school, calm at home. Yeah. You know? How is it, like, did you have to get a good feel how do you get a feel for okay, this character is going to be like da 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 da, and how does that play into how they how you approach words?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, obviously, like one of the things that's both a very big challenge, but one of the things I like the most about working with subtitles and with entertainment is being able to craft those character voices. Um, and Japanese is a great language to translate out of for that because they have a lot of little linguistic nuances that can really give you a better feel for the character. For example, I'm sure you're very much aware of the different personal pronouns that people use. Yes. You've got your Watashi, your Ore no Boku. And just the way that they pick their personal pronoun alone gives you a little bit of a sense as to how they carry themselves and you know how they might speak maybe in English. Okay. Um, so that gives you an idea, um, just kind of taking those linguistic cues. Um, and then for me, kind of when when we're writing that, I also think a lot about how the characters are not only interacting with each other in the show, but the role they're supposed to play in the show. Um, so, and again, I cannot remember this guy's name for the life of me. I've like already moved on to my my summer show. So I've like purged all my Harimiya knowledge. Um, but um, yeah, with him, I knew that the role he was playing in the show is going to be this really, this comic relief. Um, I did read the manga and I knew that he popped in every now and then just to kind of like, get beat up on by the main characters would just be a little bit silly. Um, and he did have a serious side later in the show, but knowing that this already very goofy guy in Japanese is going to be this comedic relief. Is, um, it, would
0: it be, is it an L? Lori, Laura, Lori, C-U-I-U-R-A. Um, oh, Ira. Yeah. Yes, that, that's, that's it, Ira.
1: Yes, 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 yes. I remember him now. I remember, a oh, poor yura but yeah, so um, that was definitely kind of kind of knowing that I knew like okay he's got to be like peppy he's got to be upbeat he's gonna be slangy like you know and this does come up a lot you know even in the anime people point out like oh yeah he's super peppy super upbeat like that's his shtick um, so really going hard with that kind of like they went very hard on it in the Japanese made it all the more apparent when he does go home and he does get a lot more low key um, making sure that we avoid a lot of that silly language we make him sound a little bit more blunt because he is more blunt in the Japanese. Um, so a lot of it is matching the intonation, but also making sure that that gets across in English.
0: Okay, uh, it's, yeah, it, I, I find it kind of, I mean, I, I always love the, why won't you, why are you speaking so formal? I mean, being around high school oh all the time, God. time I can't imagine one speaking formally to me at any given time, but the, the idea of difference between formal language and relaxed language is just yeah one of those things yes
1: where, oh man i'm so glad you, you brought up that read... scene because it was like that was a really rough scene for me to translate because yeah. like um because for anybody who doesn't know the japanese grammar you conjugate verbs differently based on how formal you wanna be to the person who ranks either above or below you. Um, So mostly uh, like if you're in school, you're gonna use like like a plain language to all your friends and classmates. But when you're talking to a teacher or maybe like an upperclassman or even somebody in your grade you don't know, you're gonna use like a more polite version. So you're literally conjugating your verbs differently based on who you're talking to. Uh, and the English equivalent that I would say for this is kind of the difference between you might ask your friend like "Yo, can I go to the bathroom?" where you might raise your hand to the teacher and say like "May I please go to the bathroom, Mr. blah blah blah?" Yeah. Um, so we do have different registers in English, but it doesn't function the same way in Japanese, um, which is why when you get stuff in both anime and manga, when people are like "Hey, why are you using these grammar forms instead of these grammar forms?" you're like "Well, shit!" and I'm like now we, now I got to make sure that I've been consistent with this guy's speech patterns. So like, <laughs> I have to go back. Um, like, luckily I knew it was coming. So I was able to kind of prepare his very formal kind of speaking style beforehand. Um, so it was already pretty apparent that he does speak a little bit more formally, a little bit more reservedly. So I, I made sure to pump up the register on him a little bit. So when they did bring it up a conversation, it wasn't going to be a complete like, well, who speaks normally in English? If people could go like, oh yeah, I guess he like, He's, he's been kind of like taking a step back from everyone. So, yeah, no, that was uh, that's the kind of thing that a Japanese English translator sees comes up and they go, oh, gosh, darn it. Like, <laughs> here we go.
0: <laughs> so you've been inside these uh, characters heads, so to speak. Um, and something, Let, let's de- let's deconstruct Hyori uh, just uh, for a second. Um, I know that her uh, violence, uh, violent tendencies um, te- towards her father, etc., are mm-hmm. much for comic relief as anything. And, you know, I, I find that it, it helps as a storyteller to have that in contrast to uh, Miyamura's passiveness. So how I'm trying to think of the best way. Kyori seems to be very protective of of, of her private life and her family. Is, is that a way you would describe it? I mean, to me, that's how I feel with her. It's she's like hyper protective of the things, the people around her.
1: Yeah, I guess I would say so. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I never really thought too hard on that. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's definitely some, some weird stuff going on in the background with her family um, and that's never touched on in the manga or the original work at all Yeah. Um, which is kind of nice that we don't have to go through this huge arc being like here's what happened between my mom and dad and like here's why my dad is literally never home kind of thing like yes. it's almost kind of nice that it's not explained because it's not important
0: yeah Um. it, it would have just yeah. drug, drug things down but I, I, I found that you know and I understand that it's kind of like a almost like a punch and Judy thing for lack of better analog um because she's so much more assertive than he is that it, it makes for good comment uh makes for good comedy um what do you think of their relationship of our our two main characters relationship what do you think that it is that really draws the two of them together
1: I don't know. I have some hot takes about the relationship that I'm not sure I should be airing. Okay, all right. I, okay. uh, Mira is a sweet boy and deserves better. Is all I'll say. <laughs> Hori, Hori needs some therapy.
0: I think that is clear.
1: Me and Mira probably also needs
0: therapy too. I, yeah. Uh,
1: Hori, Hori, is absolutely not emotionally ready, ready to be in a relationship. Like.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. my 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 one issue that that it goes back to you know how i was raised it, it, like for i guess for everybody it goes back to how you're raised but the whole um yell at me thing when it first started it i understood it's it was for comic relief but it really made me feel uncomfortable the you know miyamora uh you know yell at me uh call me a bitch and um you know, dragged me away as a turn on really kind of made me squirm a little bit. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, they, they, they are uh, a, a little weird, but, you know, I'm not one to, you know, throw uh, stones in glass houses. Um, how about uh, that? When you are doing, do you do these when you're doing this? Are you doing it sequentially, like as, as the story progresses? or do you do them out of order okay
1: no I do it all in order
0: so how do you how did you feel uh in that you know when you're wrapping up like their relationship at the end of that um at the end of 13 where you know they basically say that they're going to get married but there's no like I don't know doesn't put a ring on it even though they are high Uh school students you know
1: you know it's it's interesting i think and it's different for me for every series that i work on um i'm pretty picky when it comes to things like pacing and whatnot and i definitely think that hori Mia dropped the ball a little bit there at the end on
0: pacing that i've 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 seen that a lot from from uh, i mean there's at least two or three hot take youtube videos out there oh
1: yeah no i don't i don't think about
0: the pacing for that final uh that very that final set right
1: and I think like they accomplished what they came out, they set out to do. I think the director did a really great job. Like the series composition might have needed a little bit of work, but in terms of like the color design, the background design, like all the artsy farsi stuff, of it, it's re- it's really well put together. I just think yes. in terms of pacing and you know what they chose to adapt from the manga was very interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. Um, it was you know, nice. They it's it's about always some of nice. The other stu-
0: it, it's nice that they talked about some of the other relationships, but. You know i think they could have saved an episode or two and you know focused on developing our our main our two main characters a little bit more to you know make us really care about that ending it's uh, did you did you ever watch little house on the prairie growing up
1: i did not
0: okay well my biggest argument my biggest even though everyone at least my generation remembers watching it and loved it going back and watching it one of my biggest issues was the they would bring on a character and in the span of of i guess 45 or you know almost 50 minutes expect us to like we've never heard of this person before and expect us to love and then feel really bad when we lose them at the end of the episode Uh huh. and it's that kind of thing that always you know that's it's like you know Friend, the friend of the week that would come on, and we're supposed to emotionally invest ourselves in. And I think if mm-hmm. they'd given our 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 couple just a little bit more, a little bit more time, we could been far more. That that final part of their story could have issued a little bit more of an impact. But mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not a director being paid. I'm just an armchair, armchair, armchair anime analyst. So, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, when you're well we talk we talked we definitely talked about you know how much context has to do with things mm-hmm. um, do are some types of characters have you found like some arc archetypes easier than others to translate?
1: Yes, absolutely um and I think it really depends on the translator as well, um, but for me, I do really well with um I usually do really well with comedies, okay. um, just cause I don't want to say that I'm funny, but I have a lot more fun, you know, writing that kind of dialogue, adapting jokes and whatnot, making people sound very casual. Um, I would say your, your run of the mill, like your, your high school students, your kind of, your slice of life's so are all pretty easy for me. Um, but there's definitely a couple archetypes that I really struggle with. Like, um, You'll get the like the like the 600 year old like vampire who wants to speak in a very archaic form. Um, Not only is understanding those people a little bit more difficult because they're intentionally being obtuse, but once you understand it, you have to put it in an intentionally obtuse way in English, um, which usually means using more words. And we only have so much length in a subtitle or a piece of game text. So it's not always easy to render those out in a way that'll fit on screen.
0: So it's like, you're listening to Japanese, you're translating into English and then you're translating it into Shakespeare. Little bit, yeah. That doesn't sound fun. (laughs)
1: it's it's not but there are some translator colleagues of mine who really love that kind of stuff like i had a friend of mine who was absolutely elated when she found out that she got to do like a shakespearean accent for a bunch of characters because she loves Shakespeare, and she's like oh my god like i can't wait to do it like we're gonna go full tempest on these guys and i'm like oh man like you have fun i'm i'm perfectly happy staying with like my slice of life my comedies you know more serious dramas um yeah, I've been doing a lot of fantasy recently um, and that always offers a, real, a lot of really interesting opportunity for designing speaking styles and, you know, kind of whatnot. So I'm really, and, I,
0: and I imagine yeah. that is also, my love is, uh, one of my, my loves of Japanese fantasy is so many times they set it in a European setting and they use like the most made up, English sounding names for things. Yep. And it just makes it, sometimes you're just like, okay, why don't you just call it, you know, the water palace? <laughs> you know, or yeah, they, they they use these and you're like, oh, so it's the land that sits next to the sea. You know, why not just call it beachfront? So yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's um that's something you see a lot, especially um in like Japanese tropey fiction that takes place in these kind of Western fantasy worlds, um, especially if you're looking at younger authors who are publishing their own light novels that eventually do get turned into anime, is you're looking at a lot of more exper- uh, inexperienced writers who are following the tropes of being like, I'm just going to choose an English word that sounds cool, or I'm just <laughs> yes. going to call this place like or Like, yeah. you know, they, they pick kind of whatever at random. They're not experienced writers. They're just having fun. And then all of a sudden their story goes viral. Um, and now they're making an anime um, or a video game. And then I have to sit down and go, okay, how the heck are we going to do Waterland? Yes. <laughs> um, so, and it's interesting too. And we're seeing a shift in subtitling away from staying with some of those names um, and trying to go a little bit more creative. in um, video games for the longest time Um, even looking way back like Final Fantasy VII kind of stuff, like you look at the difference between the Japanese names for spells or for monsters and they're completely different in English. I mean, just look at the Pokemon. Like the names of the original Pokemon are completely different from the original Pokemon in Japanese, say for like maybe Pikachu, Um, which makes sense because a lot of those names like even Pikachu is is a punny name on like lightning rat yeah um, so or, changing the names yeah. in English makes sense
0: Charman- um, Charmander definitely sounds like a 100 percent Japanese name yes
1: yes right <laughs> so it's um so in terms of gaming and whatnot like game localization really does aim to change those to have that more equivalent experience to make it sound more natural in English um, but you haven't seen that very often in subtitles because like one we are just starting to get a really a lot of more professionals into the anime subtitling scene. And two, we still have a very loud contingent of fans who will hear them call the kingdom Watarando and say, hey, how come you called it Beachfront? Like, yes. She clearly says Waterland. What are you doing? You're ruining my show. Yeah. Um, so it's... Um, It'll be interesting. Um, and as we move forward, I think we're gonna have less and less of that and see a little bit more of creative translation come through. Um, we're already seeing that on stuff like uh, like Disney movies being translated into other languages. I mean, you look at the Ghibli movies. Um, yeah. the translation's evolving um, and people are gonna have to get used to it. But
0: Well, I, I think yeah. translation, like all language, is, 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 you know, you can attest to, is constantly evolving because what meant something 10 years ago does not necessarily mean it means that today so. right
1: well i mean more like in the like i think you're right but also talking about like the theory of translation has been continuously evolving um you go back six or seven hundred years back to when people were arguing about how to best translate the bible um and there are a lot of different literary and translation theories on what the best way to translate something was um and we're starting to see a shift in that Um, probably for the last 60 years, I think we've been kind of in the same place. Um, But as translators are moving out and into new mediums, as we're seeing Netflix hire more and more professionals to localize stuff, not just for subtitling, but for dubbing into hundreds of languages, um, we're starting to see a lot more of that kind of professional translation theory leaking its way into things versus before when we just have basically hobbyists we picked up from an anime club helping us translate whatever it is we need to get on the dvd for next month so it's uh yeah it's definitely very interesting to see how these styles and have changed um but yeah i think yeah it's uh it's definitely interesting as a translator to see how people are working on different scripts and being able to watch something and tell if it's somebody who's absolutely a professional who's been doing this for 10 years or you could spot little mistakes here and there that show oh this is somebody's first time translating a tv show so um yeah it's it's a really i always tell people it ruins your experience once you know how to translate things because then you keep you start picking apart other people's translations to learn from them
0: hey uh, Uh, i watch i watch the news with the same critical eye i'm sure you do years in broadcast I watch a local news station when I travel. One of the first things I do is I watch local news and I'm usually not that kind. So. Oh yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. thank you um, for joining me today, joining our audience. Uh, and we can find you on Twitter at Translator. Yes. I don't know how to I don't know how to pronounce that in a way, but I'll put that up it's, on the screen.
1: It is all good. And if you if you can't type that out, if you just look up Katrina translation on Twitter, it'll probably pop up right there. Right. There are very few Katrinas.
0: Yeah. Um, thank you very much. And uh, I'd like if you at listening would like to hear more like this and like to listen to more authors, artists, creatives, and industry pros out there, please click the subscribe button. And until next time, keep reading. This has been a WLNM podcast. Welcome to the WLNM Web Light Novel and Manga Review, the podcast dedicated to bringing our listeners, the artists and writers that are responsible for this renaissance of creativity, giving us stories that entertain and inspire us.